Welcome to another episode of Terrell Paranormal Talk, where we discuss all things supernatural, weird, and unexplained. Join us for discussions on UFOs, ghost stories, paranormal investigations, strange monster sightings, psychic skills, and places of high strangeness. I'll leave you to one of our esteemed investigators hosting today, and perhaps you will leave a little wiser and a little closer to having your curiosity satisfied. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hi there, guys. It's Brenda from the Terrell Ghost Walk. We want to invite you all out to come visit us for a spine-tingling tour of Moore Avenue's small business district. Our stories come firsthand from paranormal witnesses that come from credible sources such as business owners, law enforcement, employees, and even members of the clergy. Please visit us at terrellghostwalk.com to learn more information. Hey guys, it's Brenda from Spirit Talk. So glad that you joined us today. I want to give a shout out to everybody and welcome you back. And also give you a special thank you for listening to us and being wonderful continued fans. Because without you, the show would not go on. And I am so honored today because I have a very special guest, Martha Decker. And she has a very unique set of skills that helps her as a paranormal investigator. And a lot of it focuses around the client interview. And as you know, there's just not a lot of training or information out there about how to do a good interview with a client. And as you know, we tend to spend a lot of time devoted to these cases. So it's imperative that we make sure we get as much information up front. They're actually dealing with a paranormal case and we're not wasting our time. We want to serve our time well spent. So everybody, please help me welcome Martha to the show. Martha, Why don't you say hi to everybody out there? Hello, everyone. I am glad to be here. Martha, can you tell us a little bit about what makes this your forte? What is your background? What got you started along the path of paranormal investigation with consideration to interviewing as being a very specific talent of yours? What got me started was actually having unexplained things happen to me throughout my whole life. And then, of course, when it came to the interviewing, I was a journalist, and then I was a longtime detective with the police department and in patrol. And then I went from there to doing some other investigations for the state. So I have over 25 years, probably, or more, of talking to people and, you know, asking questions. It's like second nature to me now. But most of that has been through law enforcement, correct? So you have a little bit more insight into how people think and criminal minds. So tell us about that. So I do. I do. If you listen to me, um, when I'm doing an interview, it's important to ask a lot of questions, especially really personal detail questions. And I've done it so many times for so many years that, while I'm asking, I'm thinking, oh, this sounds like a jail book in. You're asking about mental health. You're asking about medical health. You're asking if they ever thought of suicide. You may ask them if they've ever been arrested. You're asking all types of questions like this, which is exactly what I would do when I would book someone into jail. Also, when I work for the state, it's another way of asking what's called a social history on somebody. And then learning or listening to their responses to your questions, and then going from their responses in another direction, possibly, of questions. So I am going to ask you something that I've gotten more comfortable with it the longer I've been doing this, but flat out asking someone, are you on any medications? Do you have a family history, or do you personally suffer from any sort of mental illness. Those are pretty hard-hitting questions. Does it ever get easier, or do you have any tips that you could share with us on that? Sure. 
It does get easier because I just say it without even thinking about it. And I know for those who are not used to interviewing somebody, sometimes you think, well, those are too personal and I shouldn't ask those questions. But if you really are trying to determine if there is something paranormal there or not, you need to ask those hard questions. And leading up to that, when you first start talking to someone, that's where it's very important to build a rapport with them because you are going to be asking them a personal, possibly even, you know, embarrassing questions. And you've got to get that rapport built up. You've got to get that trust built up. And you need to maintain that trust. You need to do that and not go online social media-wise and blab everything somebody told you. They're telling you things in, in confidence, and you need to not lose their trust in that. I'm just going to reiterate that I think that that is key, is you've got to establish that rapport right offhand, and it starts from that first phone call and having some empathy and understanding because it sometimes takes a lot of courage to call a paranormal investigator to begin with, right? So, um, and I'm sorry I interrupted you on that question. I thought you were done. So uh, I'm going to let you finish your train of thought there. My apologies. So you, you ask those questions because they're very, very important to an investigation and very important to the interview. They are personal, and one of the tricks when you get into extremely personal questions is to not necessarily look at someone directly in the eye. It makes it more difficult for them to answer truthfully sometimes because they may be embarrassed. When you're asking about mental health, you know, they may they may be bipolar, they could be schizophrenic, they could be any number of things. It might be just something as simple as depression, which isn't always simple, and they don't want you to not believe them because of that. And as most of us know, if you're schizophrenic, you probably do hear voices. But the trick is, are these voices that are just in her head or are they something extraneous? When somebody says that they are schizophrenic, one of the questions, and it's an important question you can ask them, is, do they hear voices? And then you ask if they say yes, your next question can be, well, do you hear the voices now? And they may, they'll may they say yes or no. And if they say yes, then the next question would be, well, what are they saying to you? And I go into this with people because while I was working for the state as a special investigator, I was assisting somebody who was going into the home of someone who was schizophrenic. And as we went into the house through the door, to the right was the kitchen. It was a galley kitchen, and, and I know the, the person who was doing the interviewing of this uh, schizophrenic person zipped right on by the kitchen, you know, blinders on into the living room. Well, I look in the kitchen. Take your time to look around and observe where you are. I see a large pot, like a canning pot, full of water that is just boiling away. There is nothing on the counters. The kitchen is clean except for this one pot of water that's boiling. So this other person is doing a social history. She's asking the person about her, her if she has any anything mental, and she talks about her schizophrenia. And then she goes on to the next question, and I step in and I say, what I just told you, do you hear voices? Yes. Are they talking to you now? Yes. Well, what are they telling you to do? And this lady says, they told me to boil a pot of water and pour it over myself. So if we had not been there, if I had not asked that question, you know, who knows what could have, but would have had very, very serious ramifications. So this is why it's important to ask questions. It's important to ask if they're on, you know, if they're on medication for for medical reasons. You're not there to judge anybody. And it's important with that rapport to make them feel like you're not being judged. And ask them what are they taking. Ask them if they take illegal drugs. You know, you're not there to judge them. You're not there to call the police. You, But when you're interviewing someone to make the determination of whether there is something happening in this location, you need to know everything. And all of this plays into a factor. If they take illegal drugs, you know, what do they take? When do they take them? What 
do these drugs do to your mind? You know, you're not there to go confiscate. You're not there to call the police. You just need to know this information. And all the medical history is for the same reason. Really important to ask these questions. Um, you know, when you ask them if they've been arrested, it's important if they say yes, you know, find out what they were arrested for. And some of the answers that they give could give you maybe some possible information about, is this going to be a true paranormal event happening at this house, or are they trying to pull the wool over my eyes? While some people think they don't need to ask all those questions, they do. They do, because it helps you get your full evaluation, just like you should take two people to an interview. One person to ask questions and observe, While they're asking the questions, observe the body language, the demeanor of the person, and the other one to take notes and and have a recorder. We always have, I have a recorder that's there to record the interview, and then I always have a video camera recording. I don't go there to do the investigation then. Very, I have done it occasion, but it's very, very unusual. When we go back and we listen to the audio and watch the video, to see if there's anything we pick up. We're not there for an investigation. We're there to do an in-depth interview. And there's ways to do one if they're at a distance by sending a set of questions to them. Print those out. Have them handwrite in there, and there's reasons for that, too. Would you mind giving a little elaboration on what those reasons might be? The the reason I say that is because I also have been certified in um, statement analysis. And there's several simple things to do. You don't have to be certified in anything. Uh, Common sense on some things. And and granted, I could have someone give me a written statement and and know using the statement analysis whether this is probably going to be the guilty party or not. But when you have them handwrite the answers to the questions, you instruct them not to scratch out. If they make a mistake, not to scratch anything out, but to draw a line through it. Because many times somebody who is not being truthful will start to tell the truth automatically when they go to write a statement and they'll remember, oh, and they want to scratch it out all the way. And they want to change it because they don't want you to think there's anything suspicious with them. But by them drawing the single line through there, you can still read it and you can see what they started to say and what that most likely implies. That's the simplest thing to look for. Something else to look for is uh, how they refer to people when they do a written statement for me, whether they say it was something with a child. If they would start writing she, or would write it versus she, or by name, or they change from first person to third person, all of these indicate that this is probably going to be a good suspect. I had somebody who um, was convicted of um, injury to a child uh, for a two-year-old. And and during the course of doing an evidentiary search of the house, prior to interviewing the suspect, I discovered that this family wrote to each other. That was their main, main basis of communication, was writing to each other. When I go to interview her, this was a child who had ligature marks on his wrists and his ankles and uh, had his hair pulled out and a number of other things happening, and they really didn't expect him to survive. But he did. He was out of children's in like two days, and he has PTSD now. But in doing this and trying to interview this person, being having the knowledge that she writes to communicate, and I'm asking her how did she discipline the child, and she was having trouble with a verbalization, I asked her to write it down. Can you write this for me? And so she wrote down her forms of discipline, which included how she would tie the the wrists and the ankles up. So there's a confession right there. So you're looking for things like that. Not that severe, but this is why, you know, you have people write things and just draw a line through. Um, When you're you're interviewing them about a specific event. The best thing, or if they're going to write to you about the about the event, I require everybody send me an email with all the detail. You just tell them if you're talking to them, say, tell me what happened. Just leave it like that. Don't ask them a lot of questions. Just tell me what happened. And depending on when they start, if you're talking about a specific event, and they start with two days prior to that event, that's probably a suspect because they're trying to make up things. They're telling you stuff that has nothing to do with the event. 
And that's a really a key, key indicator on, on somebody who may be a possible, good possible suspect because a truthful person, the witness is going to start with what happened. When you say, tell me what happened, they tell you what happened and you let them go all the way through and, and tell their whole story. This is why someone else is taking notes and you're watching their demeanor. And once they're done, if they've given you any generic terms like it was a really mean ghost, they didn't mean it does mean things. Well, what does mean mean? That the word mean means a lot of different things to different people. So you go back to all those kind of statements and you ask them to explain them. The ghost cusses at us. Well, what does it say? Uh, because cuss words vary as well. I have a good friend I've had since I was three. And she had a very, very strict religious background, upbringing. And I can remember one day I said to her, I swear. And I got a 30-minute lecture on swearing and the evils of it. And all I said was, I swear. So, so many words and, and, and descriptions like that mean different things to different people. They say, oh, it's a young ghost. Well, about how old do you think? And this is based on something that happened with me as a patrol officer. I had a lady in her 80s who called about criminal mischief. And when she's ex explaining it to me and I asked for a description of the people because she saw them, she says, oh, you know, it was a couple of young guys. I'll be 63 but this summer, but still, to me, when I hear a couple of young guys, I think late teens, maybe early 20s. But she says a couple of young guys. So I ask her, well, about how old? She goes, oh, you know, like about 50 or so. <laughs> well, that is, and I go, well, that's not a young guy. She says, well, it is to me. I'm 80, whatever she was. So get, get, break down the definitions of, of generic statements. Specifics, that is, yeah, that is something that never even crossed my mind. That is fantastic information, Martha. Okay, so you talked about their demeanor. What kind of things would you look for in uh, nonverbal clues or body language? Is, are there specific things that tip you off that something's not quite right? Well, there are some things, of course, I, I wouldn't say that I don't go into somebody's house thinking they're making up a story. I don't go into their house thinking I've got to prove that what they say is true. You go into their house totally unbiased. You leave your beliefs at the door. It's important to go unbiased. Don't prejudge anything. And I have talked to some of the younger groups, men younger by me, I'm, I'm saying in their 20s, early 20s, and that are going out, they go, we believe everything they say. We're going to the house. We're not doing a, a, a deep interview. And we're going there to prove what they say is right. Well, you can't go into an investigation that way. Think about the investigation and the interview as if this was either a witness or a suspect and a crime scene. If you work it that way, you will leave a lot of your biases in your vehicle and be open to everything, but be alert, be aware of your surroundings. You know, watch how they talk, which is very similar to how you they give the written statement. Do not use the old, they look to the left, they look to the right, to decide if they're telling the truth or lying. Because that's okay. That's just one indicator, and it's only an indicator if and if you know whether they're left-handed or right-handed. Because a left-handed person looks in the opposite directions for truth and lies. So if you don't know what they are, or maybe they're ambidextrous, you don't know. So just throw that one out the window. I tell people don't even use that. Because... I, I'm a very visual person, and I may look either way, and I'm, that's because I'm climbing around, digging through my, all my file cabinets and library in my head, trying to pull the right drawer out to get the answer sometimes, because it's like a movie to me, so I'm looking for that, hunting for that movie. So it's a big library up there, 
<laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> Forget about that one. You know, are they focused? Oh, something you need to do when you go and you're doing your rapport building is turn your phone off, leave it in the vehicle, put it on vibrate, don't answer it, don't text on it, unless it's something that directly pertains to that interview, because that makes that person feel like they're a bother to you, that they are not important, and that you have other things you would rather be doing. And I know with some people, that phone grows in their hand and it's attached, but, you know, you have to just cut that cord if you want to, to build a good relationship for a good interview. And if there's anything like a TV on, radio on, turn it off. Have them ask them to turn it off. Just not turn it down, but just go ahead and turn it off. Because you're if you're doing your audio and your video, that's gonna be in the way. And it's also going to be a distractor if they're facing the TV and you're trying to ask them questions. The TV might not be on, but they're they're gonna be drawn to it. It's just normal with a lot of people and they're gonna miss or you might even get caught up on something and, and miss uh, some kind of body language. There's some things that people will do as far as closed postures, open postures. If they're sitting there with their arms crossed and, and sit, you know, talking to you, that normally will indicate a closed-off person. You haven't built up your rapport. Maybe they're being deceptive. But then again, you may have somebody like me who does that because it keeps my shoulders from hurting. You know, there's a lot of people that, that have achy parts. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know anything about that. <laughs> and so they, they have to sit or do something just for their comfort to get through. You look at me, I'm, half the time I'm going to have my arms crossed. And it just releases the stress on my shoulders. But my stress on my shoulders have names attached. <laughs> <laughs> this is phenomenal information. So... Kind of what I'm hearing and make sure that I'm understanding correctly is you can't just take one action or one movement. You've got to look at the whole picture. And I never even thought about writing versus speaking versus body language. It all, it's kind of like when we're investigating. I'm sure you probably operate on the same theory that it's layers of evidence that a case makes it's not just one evp it's not just one it's kind of i guess the same way in interviewing is that kind of what i am understanding it is and one of the things by asking a couple of just basic simple questions whatever you want them to be is learning like i did with that one case i told you about is that person auditory is that person uh visual Are they verbal? And you can ask the question to somebody who is verbal, and you might say, well, what did you hear? And they can't answer. But if you said, well, what did it sound, what did they say? It's the same question, but it's worded differently, and they'll just be blah, 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 blah. Learning to key in on how intercept and and bring things into their brain. You know, so if somebody sees something and they never forget what they see, but you ask them, you know, what did they hear? They may or may not be able to answer you, but that's where you say, well, what did you see? And then they can start describing in extreme detail what they saw. So that's a little trick to learn, too. So we're going to ask the same questions. We just have to figure out how they're going to respond. Let me ask you this. Why would people fake evidence. If I can share just a quick situation with you, and we've actually had this happen to us a couple of times, and maybe you can give me a little insight into it because I just, I don't know what to make of it. Gentleman had called me one time and he was, he had a video and he shared the video with me. I looked at the video and I was like, okay, you know, we needed to do some more analysis on it. And I spoke to him on the phone to kind of get a little bit more information about that particular incident. And he talked about that. And then he went on to talk about some other things. And he was certain that there was something evil in his house. And then and he sounded completely level-headed and grounded on the phone. But then the next week, my inbox four, five, six, seven, eight times a day, there was a new video. And it was obvious at that point that 
I'm sure you've not gotten four or five, six videos out of one investigation or, you know, maybe even 20 investigations. So is there motive behind that? Is there, I guess I really don't know what I'm asking other than why the hell do people do this? Well, some people will do this just because they want some attention. Maybe they just really needed somebody to talk to. But there are so many shows on TV, so many of them. If it's a private residence, they want to be on TV. If they can get a team to come in and go, oh, this place is haunted, or you have this ghost, or a medium who may not be the best medium, come in and go, oh, it's an evil spirit. I ask if they've had any investigations, you know, who the teams were that came in, I ask about the mediums and what did they say. And generally, as a rule, I don't take into account anything that most of those mediums say because it's always the same thing. It's evil. It's it's a demon. And the people are scared to death when it's legitimate. But you have the people that want to be on TV. They want to be famous. They want to get some money from the National Enquirer. So you have, have the, the people that want to have their 15 minutes. So, yes, they will lie. Then you have the businesses that want to make some money on this. And, and, and the paranormal is nothing new. It's been around for a long, long time. You have, you know, you've got your, your old movies. You have old plays. It's not new. It's a pretty good-sized industry that's been around a very long time. But they want to say, our place is haunted. You know, come here and spend the night. Come here and eat. Come here and shop, and maybe if you're in this corner, you'll feel feel something touch you. And while all this does happen in, in, in real life, you have just as many people that want to make a buck on it, and they're going to be dishonest. So you really have to watch for that. So I know that we get a lot of influence from television, movies, media, and everything out there is dark and scary now because that's what sells. So is that a question that you ask them? And based upon their response, what kind of assumptions do you make, if any? What can you tell me about that? Why we ask that question, it seems like the more interest they have in the paranormal, the more likely they are to experience paranormal activity. The other thing that I have learned is one of the first questions that we do ask is, do they watch any paranormal shows? And if I had, and the ones, most of the people who say, oh yeah, I watch all of them. Nine times out of 10, they're not going to have any paranormal activity going on in their house. It's the thing, it takes a lot for paranormal to come to my mind. And there is activity in my house at different times. That's the last thing I think of. Part of that was being part skeptic, even though the, I you know, believe in all this and I'm open-minded and I've had experiences, I still don't jump to the paranormal conclusion immediately. I try to rule out things. Um, I try to think, you know, it's just normal for me to think a little rationally first. And I have found that most of them that really don't have any activity watch everything. It doesn't mean that somebody that watches everything isn't having an experience you know, it's just, it's one of those things, but I have found a lot of them, there's no activity. There was a gentleman who went to a conference several years ago. He never made it back to where, where I had a table. He brought in some of the old metal toy soldiers and he was talking to every team there because he thought there was something up with the soldiers. Well, he called me and because I blessed in that I have a lot of communication with a lot of the teams in in Texas and other states. That's always been important to me is to be able to network with them and so that I have somebody I feel comfortable referring a case to if it's not in my area or I'm not able to take it on. Um, When he called, I had already talked to some of the other teams and everybody thought the guy was just really goofy. Well, he was in a way but one of the things I tend to do is listen to people because sometimes that's when they call, they just really need to have somebody listen to them and uh, respond a little bit. But this guy was really, you know, stuff is going on. He has them on his shelves and they all move 
you know, all of the soldiers are constantly moving. And he had this journal that he had his boss keeping. So I listened to him. I said, well, why don't you send me a copy of your journal and let me read. And I have it somewhere, but let me tell you, that journal was the funnier than any comedy show I have seen in I don't know how long. And and it was funny, and we were laughing, but also with the realization we weren't making jokes of him because he believed this to be a true event. So you have to be cognizant of someone else's feelings when you're in this field if you're serious. And, and there are some teams that they just want to go in the house, blow and go, go in, get their, their thrills and leave and just leave that family. You know, the family's not there for their entertainment either. Um, follow through is important. So he did that. I read it and I just, we just talked and, and he was kind of comfortable and not worried. And then I heard from him a couple months later and he had more to write in his journal, and he sent that to me. And he told me that he found that if he took the soldiers and took them to work with him and then put them back up like at night, they weren't moving. So he was wondering if that was stopping. And then he said something to me. Well, then he said something else about it. He came in one day, and they were all facing the same direction. It was the direction of their propane tank and their water tank, something like that. And I think water, I think they were on well water, and they had a tank. And they had sprung a little leak, and he, he was really concerned. Do you think that could have caused that? And I go, well, no, I don't think so. But when he told me that he put them on a shelf somewhere else and they never moved, I, my thing is, well, why don't you just leave them on that shelf? But he was still concerned there was activity and something up. I have a shelf that's by a front door. So I asked him, well, tell me about your shelf. Is it hung or is it built in? Is it by a door? Or I'm on a slab at my house, but are you on pier and beam? Do big trucks go by? All these, do you slam the door? All these things that cause vibrations. And I had some statues or things on display in this one little curio cabinet that about once or twice a year, I have to move them all back because the vibrations from the front door cause them to move. And that's all it is. There's nothing paranormal about it at all. It's just strictly vibrations. It's physics, and that's all it is. And so I ex explained that to him, and that took care of it for him. He was perfectly satisfied. He didn't feel like anybody had made fun of him. Where he called me, he was, he said, everybody made him feel like he was just stupid. You know, don't make the person you're interviewing feel stupid. I had a lady who called that, Demons. She saw demons everywhere. You know, they're everywhere. Every time she took a picture, there were demons. Well, the key is to listen to what they say. She said when she takes pictures with her cell phone. So I go, well, don't take pictures with your cell phone. And you won't see demons. And then I said, well, do you have a few you can send me? And she did. And her daughter had contacted me. I don't know how she found out about me, but I felt like this lady had some other issues going on. And when one of the things that, that we do, if we're going to do something that may be potentially serious, is we require a physical and a mental evaluation to be done on that person before we go do anything. Because the last thing we want to do is make them worse. You know, you can get sick, sued, not sick, but you can get sued. There's vicarious liability, and you have to be aware of that. And I know teams who have been sued. And her daughter, when she got adult daughter, got a hold of me. She didn't know anything about us. She was kind of in a panic. Please, whatever you do, my mother's gone through all this stress. This has happened. That has happened. All these things have happened to her. And we've been trying to get her to go to the doctor. We're worried about her. So I was able to tell her, relax. Don't worry about her. We're not going to do anything to make her worse. But she has to go to the doctor before we do anything with her. And her daughter was so relieved. I said, if she doesn't go to the doctor, and I said, and she told me she would go to the doctor. And she did go to the doctor. The doctor found some medical problems, put her on medication, no more demons in the camera, and the demons were just the way your mind's eye sees faces everywhere. That's all it was, shadows. There were no demons. There never were. And I really didn't believe there was, but I just didn't want to say, oh, you're crazy, and hang up. You know, oh, well, I'm all about 
you know, helping that person. That's why I do this, to help somebody, whether it's paranormally or not, to help them. That's why I do it. Martha, I cannot tell you how relieved I am to hear you say that out loud, because so often, yes, we will encounter people that call us, and you can tell immediately that there's something else going on, and when we say we require all of our clients to undergo a medical and psychiatric evaluation prior to investigating, we make it sound like we do it for everybody. Obviously, we don't do that for everybody, but there are specific cases in which that needs to be done. And yes, I think that there are a lot of groups out there who they're not, I don't necessarily know that they're trying to act irresponsibly, but they're not thinking about the long-term ramifications to these families and to these individuals. I'm very, very glad you brought that up. Thank you so much for for sharing that with people out there. Share a case with us. Share a story with us that you think our listeners are going to like. Share something with us that you got to utilize your skills that was rewarding for you. You've got some experience in the background. You've been doing this since 99. That's a long, long time and a lot of cases. So is there something specific you'd like to share? There's a few cases, but a lot of my cases end up being not really paranormal. And I don't know if that's just because of my background. And we may go the extra mile on something because we know how to do that. I've done it for so long. Um, you know, research a location. You can talk to the neighbors. You don't have to tell them what's going on. You just go, hey, you ever notice anything odd going on around here? And you just, that's all you say. You know, you know, you don't even talk about the neighbor next door necessarily. You just leave it very, very generic. There was one case that I would not necessarily call it a case. Uh, a lady called me. Her son had died, and he lived up around Henderson, Texas. She was around Houston, and she wanted to go cleanse and bless the house he had been in. She wasn't sure how he had died. Um, He lived up there with his father, and they both had drug addiction. And the son was there by himself living at the time he died. And she didn't know how to do that. So I went up there with, uh, with Vicki. She comes out and helps me on a lot of these instances, and Vicki's sensitive. And we went to the house, and the lady was just all over the place. She didn't know what she was doing, so first thing we did was have to calm her down. That was about all I knew about the house, other than the house looked like nobody had lived in it for years. It was a disaster. I can't, and it had only been a couple of months since he died. And that place was like that when he was living there. It looked like a, a, you know, a flop house for druggies. We take pictures while we did this. Um, Vicki went around to, to bless the house, cleanse the house. As we're doing that and calming the lady down, Vicki opens up one of the cabinets and her eyes get big and she does a lot of these, but she doesn't necessarily encounter spirit. Well, she encountered a small child hiding in this little cabinet in the kitchen by the small hot water heater. And all of a sudden, her eyes got really big, and she looked at me, and it's like, so, okay, I know something's up. So so this is an actual living child? This is not... No, 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 no. This is spirit. This is spirit. I I just needed to clarify for myself. Yeah, Yeah. no, this is spirit. A child wouldn't actually fit in there. What did you see? That just comes out of my mouth all the time. What did you see? And she says there's a child in there, and the child is scared. The child is hiding. I've never, you know, encountered something that clear to me before. And she wondered if that was maybe her son, but in a childlike form. And I didn't think it was. They were on their way outside after they did that to go around the outside of the property and the outside of the house. And while she did that... I went over there and I just, you know, it's sometimes it feels funny just talking to the air. And, and, you know, it just does if you're not experienced because I did not feel that child there. And I usually can tell if something's there, but I didn't feel this. But I talked to this like this is a real person and told them that they didn't have to be afraid and, and all the things you say to, 
to maybe help cross someone over if you, you know, believe in that sort of thing. We never mentioned this child to the lady. When Vicky comes back in, I ask her to, you know, go back over there and see if, see if she feels anything or if it was gone. The child was gone. She couldn't fee- see or feel the child anywhere around there. But as we're getting ready to leave, the lady says this is, points out the location of where her son died. And as we're out on the porch, the three of us, I didn't feel like he was at the house when we were there or anything. I didn't know what he looked like. I knew his approximate age, but that's about all I knew about him. And she didn't know if it was suicide, overdose, natural, or what. I see this person who is spirit standing next to me, over six foot tall, just as happy as can be. The biggest grin from ear to ear. That it was amazing. I wish I could see, I wish I could do this more often. And I described what I saw to her, and that was her son because I had the hair color, the eyes, I mean, everything. That was her son. And I just went with what came to mind, like, like people do. And like I said, I haven't done this like this since then. And that was about the only time it's been that strong. It was mom, you know, you could have, you couldn't have done anything to prevent this. I love you. I am so happy. I am not in pain. I, I'm wonderful. You know, I love you and, you know, bless you and all of this good stuff. And the feeling of the three of us was that of being surrounded with such peace that you can't even describe it. So I tell her, I say, is there anything you want to say before he goes? And so she had her say he was gone. Because I can tell when I go into investigations, I can tell if something is there, if it's happy, if it's not, and I can tell when it's gone. I've always been able to do that. So that was absolutely amazing. I got the impression that it was natural. And she contacted me two or three late weeks later, but I did, was not going to say anything to her because I'm not going to say that and turn out to be something different. That's thinking of her psyche, her emotions and her feelings. Contacted me and it was natural causes. Wow. So that was probably, you know, one of the simplest investigations that wasn't an investigation, but turned into something like that because of the little child and, and what happened with her son. And I've got some crazy ones too, but... <laughs> That's a good one. You want to share a, cra- share a crazy one with us? Let's okay. I can share a crazy and, one. And that was a wonderful story. Once again, validation for why we do what we do is is that, that peaceful peacefulness there. So let's hear a crazy story, Martha. Okay. Here's, here's one of my crazy ones. When I had the team, it went through several different names that just weren't right, weren't right. And I settled on East Texas Paranormal. Um, I didn't think about search engines and browsers. And if somebody lives in East Texas and they're looking for paranormal, what do they put in there? East Texas, paranormal. So I, I get some absolutely crazy calls sometimes. This one happened to be close to home. I just want to interject here. These people in East Texas are just back crap crazy, man. <laughs> I'm in East Texas and I can say that I'm allowed. <laughs> That's saying it nice. <laughs> East Texas is different than West Texas, big time, different than Central Texas. We're, we're all people. We're just different levels of crazy. That's right. <laughs> East Texas, sometimes uh, there's good people in East Texas. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of banjo players, too. <laughs> <laughs> Drive faster, I can paddle faster, I can clear the banjo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that out here. I had a lady call. She was absolutely hysterical on the phone. You can't always tell the age of somebody by their voice. Most of the time, I do a fairly decent job. It sounded like some crazy old woman is the best way to put it. She was just some crazy old woman, all hysterical about creatures crawling on walls and insane stuff. And she was she was scared. And uh, she was nearby. And she had a child who was 11. So when children are involved, because I spent over 20 years working crimes against children. Mm-hmm. So they're near and dear to my heart. 
That's a whole nother ball game when I can talk about. It, it, it definitely bumps that priority up. Yes. So she was talking about how her daughter has to sleep in her room with her and something about pages in a Bible being torn out. And, 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 but everything she said, there wasn't anything physical. There wasn't anything harmful. There really hadn't been anything scary other than she watched all the paranormal shows. There wasn't anything that she should have been frightened of or should have been scared of. There wasn't anything scary. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> Well, there wasn't anything scary. She was afraid of, well, I don't know if she was afraid of anything at all. Other than she watched all the paranormal shows, her daughter slept with her. Because nothing had happened, and because it was close, I told her that we would be by there the following weekend. And one of my team members, Tamara Bricky, Tammy and I, were going to go over there. So I've tried to calm her, say, well, nothing has happened, nothing has been physical, and everything I came up with, all of a sudden, oh, it did this, or oh, it did that, and I have a bruise here, let me, you know, send you a picture of my bruise. Everything I said that it wasn't suddenly came, it was. Red flags all over this for me. So we go ahead and go because it's close. We didn't have anything to do that weekend. We didn't want to involve anybody else in the team. We went over there to interview her. Turned out she was very articulate in her mid-30s. So we decided to go over there because I, at that point I stopped because everything that I say it's not, it becomes. So I just don't give her, I don't want to feed her anymore. We go over there. I always tell people if they haven't been keeping a log, to keep a log until we can get there. Write down everything they can remember, and then from that day on, do a log of who, what, where, when, how, because that can tell us if there's a pattern. This isn't like TV. This is real life. You don't have to investigate in the dark. If something only happens at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, why go there at 3 o'clock at night? It doesn't happen then. That's for TV, mostly just because people like to watch it on TV. TV is just entertainment, remember. We get over there. She watches all the shows. She found somebody. I don't know where she found the literature, but she got some literature from somewhere. This guy she had contacted, and it had a little box with it. It had a little bit of oil. No, I think it had a little bit of oil. It told her to go around and put the oil around the doors, the windows, to say certain things, and to take the little box and write her intentions in that box of what's going on, what she wants to stop happening, and the very second, and put it under her pillow, and the very second she wakes up the next day, take that little bitty box, slap it in an envelope with thirty nine ninety five, and he would take care of it. <laughs> for, for 12 easy payments of thirty nine ninety five. that's how time life got me. So, but for real, yeah, and, and so I, yeah. so I don't know where she got this. So she, I was like, do not, because she was in government housing. This was an old, small, worn down apartment complex, very small, very old. And uh, do not spend your money that you do not have on this. Um, turns out her father was a preacher too. I said, this is a charlatan. Ask your dad about those. We scheduled our our investigation for the next week. Inner log, creatures are crawling on the wall. She goes into the bathroom and left the door open because her daughter was in, in mom's bedroom sleeping and Boone started dancing once on the kitchen counter. She had her Bible and her daughter's Bible there. And in my book, I actually have a photo of her with her Bible that she said they woke up and the Bibles were flung across the room into opposite corners and had pages torn out. Well, Tamara had been a deputy for a number of years. Now, I had retired from law enforcement at that time, but I had done a lot of investigation. And you look at that book really well, you can see finger imprints. So if something evil is going to tear them out, they're just going to tear them out. They're not going to leave their fingerprints, <laughs> their fingers. But, yes. but, but it's like if someone were to take a magazine and how you try to tear a magazine in half or something... And it, how it wads it up, and you've got your finger impressions from trying to tear. Well, that was in the Bible. She did that. And uh, that her daughter can't sleep in her room because there's something evil in there. Do, do you think this was an intentional act? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. She knew she did it. She yes. wasn't blacking out. No, no. She knew what she was doing. So we conducted the interview. We didn't say anything to her. 
we once we're through with that, we also do take a, a EMF reading all around the house, and we'll we'll snap pictures so that when we go back, we will do that before we start an investigation as well. So we have something to go back on to see if there were changes, if there's going to be some deception or something. And just like you do at the beginning of an investigation, so you go, well, was that door open before? Was that cabinet closed? You can go back to your pictures and see how it was when you began. And there were, daughter had two closets in her room. One closet, her mother's TV, the old-timey TVs, was up against the wall. So there was high EMF in there from that TV when it was turned on. The light that kept blowing was actually hanging, the, the, the electrical wiring was hanging out of the wall, uh, out of the ceiling with just a bulb attached. The whole fixture wasn't wow. even up in the ceiling. It wasn't hanging low, but it was hanging. A lot of people would look at that and know this is all wiring. And so her, one of her complaints was every time they turn the light on, it blows. It's like, well, hello. Mm-hmm. You're putting a bulb in there that is has too much wattage for that old light. You know, either have them fix it or go buy a, you know, 20 watt or 15 watt or whatever it is that'll keep it from blowing. That's not paranormal either. In the other closet was electrical panel for the apartment with high EMF. So there was just a lot of EMF going on in that room, and that's all that was. There wasn't anything paranormal in there. But to appease her and her daughter had picked up on this, we thought, well, you know, we're not really doing anything next Saturday night. Let's just go over there. She left on Friday, put the key under the doormat, and left. And yes, this is Texas. And yes, we went armed because we were carrying all of this, uh, you know, all of our equipment up the steps into this apartment, and everybody there was watching. And this is one being in law enforcement in a neighboring town. I'm aware of all the activity that goes on in this one apartment complex. So we were not going to be in there to have somebody just come kick the door in and steal stuff from us and for our own safety and protection. So we go over there and we check everything. We stay till, I don't know, we're there maybe four or five hours and there's nothing going on. Gave us a chance for, you ever do practice investigations? This is a good practice type investigation, you know? If you haven't been on one for a while, to hone your skills. So you can make out of it what you will. And with the client not there, it was real easy to do that. And there wasn't anything. And we left. And I told her we didn't find anything. She didn't like that. She found two guys. I don't know where she found them. That said they would come over and, and for no charge. And we never charge either. And they would come take care of it. And they told her to not have us come over to only use them. So she had these two strange men come into her apartment. They said everything was free and they were using their holy water and oil all over the place. And they get into her bedroom and they tell her she needs to disrobe so they can cleanse her. And they also told her if her daughter had been 12 years old, she was like a month from being 12. She was 11. If she had been 12, they would have needed her to get naked too. So both of them could be cleansed. This woman did not do that. The men stopped their whatever it was they were doing, and they demanded money. They told her that it was $250 for supplies. They were demanding the money. And she said that she told them she had $25 she could mail to them. She didn't have it then just to get them to leave. And I I told her, do not send them any money. I tried to get information about them. I tried to get their names. I tried to get, well, where did you find these two? She absolutely refused to tell me that because my next call would have been to the police department. Yes. Because these guys were up to absolutely no good. Just a reminder to check references. If you have a paranormal team coming into your home, you are opening yourself up to vulnerabilities if you do not check references. That is such a good reminder to our listeners. Thank you. Due diligence is your responsibility. We've had teams out here that required the family leave and then they come home and they don't have a stick of furniture left in the house mm. and they claim they're a paranormal team. So be sure to do your due digital diligence and the same goes for the investigative team as well. Long story made short, sort of, 
is that she wanted out of her lease. If she could say it was haunted, they would release her from her lease. Now, the poor handyman there quit going into that apartment to repair things because the last time he was there, she said he was in the closet with the electrical panel and the spirit, the bad spirit, slammed the door shut on him and wouldn't let him out. Well, that was her. That was her. I just, you know, that's one of my gut things. And he just had enough. She freaked him out. (laughs) So that was that. And I didn't speak to her for a while. And she got ready. She was moving out. She called me and wanted us to come over there as she's moving out because everybody's having stuff go on. They're, They're all have paranormal activity and they're all freaked out. So I offered to go over there to talk to them, not to do an investigation, but to go talk to the because I was actually in that town at that time. She hung up on me. Wow. There you go. Then a year later, she moved to Terrell, Texas. <laughs> and she called me back with the same complaint. In other words, she wanted to get out of her lease of whatever apartment she was in in Terrell. You know, I wasn't rude to her. I wasn't ugly to her. I just said, I'm so sorry, but we are all booked up right now. I can't help you. That's one of my goofy ones. Fantastic information. And I know this is actually a little off topic, but you had talked about the EMF frequencies in the home. And for our listeners out there, some maybe, you know, we have some seasoned investigators that listen to us as well as some people that are just starting out. Do you believe that the high EMF frequencies in the home maybe played into some of this? I I can't think of a better word other than hysteria. Just because you noted the high EMF levels in the home, do you think that played a role in any of this at all? Um, I don't in this instance, but it very well can. You have people out there who are actually sensitive to it. I don't know. I looked one day at all my equipment and I must have 10 different ways to register it you know just happen that way through the years I have discovered that I'm sensitive to it if you have an ionizer in your house we had uh, like a big air purifier and ionizer could leave the ionizer on when I was gone but I would have to turn that off when I came home because it bothered me it's been proven to yeah it may ramp up activity But it can also cause some people to hallucinate, to feel paranoid, have headaches. I had one that I assisted somebody with, and the bed where all the activity was going on was right next to a very, very old electrical panel in an old house with really high EMF readings. Uh, Our suggestion to them was put the bed on the other side of the room, and they did, and that was the end of it. Just think, think of it like if you were to live underneath power lines. The big power lines, not the little bitty ones that go down the street. Just like when the train goes by here and you hear the train. Yeah, I can't tell you how many things I've investigated, how many locations that the trains were within a couple blocks of the house or the business. So, yes, it can either way, you know, good or bad. Now, the way that I found out about you is that I met you at a paraconference back many, many years ago in Jefferson, Texas, and just want to give a shout out to uh, the Jefferson Ghost Walk and Jody Breckenridge. That's been a real inspiration for me and for the paranormal community and has given us opportunities to come together as well as share the wonderful town of Jefferson with people who might not have otherwise been there. So we're always uh, big fans of hers. But I read a book that you had written called Paranormal Profiling, found it to be just chock full of information. It's, it's not even a very thick book. It's it's an easy read. It's a light read. But I took a whole lot from it. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Tell our listeners where they might be able to find a copy of it. I think we're going to buy some from you to carry here at Terrell Paranormal. And we can uh, certainly send one out to you over the next few weeks. Or um, maybe Martha can point you in the right direction to find one herself and let you know what that's all about. You bet. I have copies of the book. If you want to get one from me, they're $15, and that includes the shipping and the tax. Uh, And I can sign it for you if you want. Just contact me on Facebook, all of my pages on Facebook, or you can go to EastTexasParanormal.com, and it has my contact information. It has my uh, email address. It has my phone number. If you look at the About page 
on Facebook. It has the phone number there. You can find my personal, which is on Facebook is Martha Hazard Decker. So it'd be facebook.com slash Martha Hazard Decker. And that's two Z's. And then you you also can go to East Texas Paranormal. It's the same way on Facebook as well. And I have a uh, MarthaDecker.com. I have the EastTexasParanormal.com. You can get the book in ebook form from uh, Barnes & Noble, from Amazon. The last time I looked, neither one of them had the book itself. I don't know what's going on with that. I've asked my publisher about that, but my publisher's getting out of the publishing business, so I don't know what's going to happen with that, but the ebook is available. I do have a book itself that I can, can send out. So get a hold of me, or if you know you're local, stop by over here and come into the shop and pick up a book. It's Tarot Paranormal, and you can find us at tarotparanormal.com. And the book is about, it's a book for, for individuals who are not used to interviewing people. It's a book that can be used for any kind of interviewing, not just paranormal. But it's pretty much has a lot of what we talked about today in the book. There's uh, several pages of questions in the back that we use. So you have your questions. And I even have, if you want to get really involved and real scientific uh, in your investigation part, I have a forensic kit list in there that an old friend of mine, David Roundtree, sent to me. And uh, I included in there, he has a book, Paranormal Technologies that has a lot of interesting information in that. My biggest take from this is read a lot and go to conferences, listen to speakers, get books, anything you can do to help educate yourself. And learn from each other, too, because I tell you, I've learned so much from fellow investigators, and we've not been in this business and industry near as long as people like Martha have, some other reputable teams, and you know, there are teams of varying levels. There are teams that are very experienced. There are teams that are not so experienced. But as long as we continue to work together, we can raise that standard of training and the standard of paranormal investigation in general. Because remember, you know, there were lots of things that weren't sciences before they were sciences. I think the direction we're moving with technology today, it's time for us to get on board and support each other. Just continue that journey to prove that life goes on and our loved ones are still with us at safe and at peace on the other side. So I, I want to thank Martha so much for coming out today. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? I'm going to share some of the places that I'll be in the next six months so that if it's somewhere near you, you can be sure to come by, listen to the speakers and smile at me by my table. She's got the great striped cat's eyeglasses on. You can't miss her. You, uh, yeah, they're black and white striped. They're Kate Spades, by the way. They're gorgeous. <laughs> the next location I'll be is going to be in Louisville, Kentucky this summer for Mid-South, the uh, event that Keith Age puts on every year, which is really cool. I've only been there once before. I won't be speaking at this one, but I will be a vendor. And I'll have Maria Elena Santos with me, and she'll be doing readings. I'll have my books, and I'll have my photography because I've been a photographer since I was 18 years old, uh, professionally. So I will have photos on display and for sale, and then I'll have my book. And Maria will be there to do some readings, so come by and see us. And then in September, I'm going to be at one of the coolest places that's kind of near us. It's in Little Rock, Arkansas. I will be at the Arkansas Paranormal Expo, I think they call it. It's at the General MacArthur Military Museum, which is an awesome place. And all the profits there go to the museum. And they have vendors set up all over the freaking place. Every corner of the museum, they have some vendors. Last year, they were even outside. And they have a really nice big room for speakers. It's usually two days, I think. Last year, I spoke on Saturday and Sunday, and I think I'm doing the same this year. So come by and see everybody. I'm not sure who all will be there. I know that I will have with me there, I believe, uh, Kim Reisinger and Ruth Coffey, who together, the three of us, are G's Inc. or Granny Investigations. And you can find us at grannyinvestigations.com. Uh, we're working on a uh, internet show that I'm still editing 
and maybe we'll have some shows done by then. And then in the fall, as Brenda said, we will be back and Jefferson for History Haunts and Legends. Yes. Uh, that's a great place. And Je- Je- all of downtown Jefferson has activity, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of my favorite places. There are stories upon stories there that uh, I was fortunate to learn about that aren't normally covered on the basic ghost tour. So that's it's true. A, it's a great place to, to visit and lots of uh, lots of reasons for activities there. So and, and I try to I don't have all of this on the page yet, but I try to keep the uh, conferences that I'm going to be at on my Amazon author page. So you can check back there or you can check online. Contact me whenever you want if you need to. And try not to do it at 2 or 3 in the morning unless it's an emergency, please. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, don't I know that. That's what we have a devoted line just for paranormal calls. We have our own spirits at home to contend with from time to time. So, Martha, once again, I just cannot thank you enough. It has been a true privilege to have you here today at Terrell Paranormal Headquarters. Y'all make sure you come out and see us on the Terrell Ghost Walk some night. We're going to be launching our online classes soon. And I foresee some classes maybe coming from Martha in the future. So once again, thanks to all of you guys out there for supporting us. We're going to be up on iTunes and on Stitcher soon. And as I always say, it is a fantastic day to speak to those that are on the other side. Godspeed to you, my friends. Give some love by subscribing to our podcast to make sure you get your weekly paranormal fix. We are delighted that you have joined us today. There's plenty more stories and interviews to come. Remember, it is all good.